In the studio for our Kairangoa segment, I've got Aranora Nata. Good morning. Hi, Atamari e te Fano Fanui o Fangaro and beyond. Those who who may be listening in. Kiora. Yeah, Kiora. So today, I was. This is an easy interview for me because Aranora does all the work. She <laughs> works out what we're going to talk about and uh, what's the topic for today. Um, I'd like to bring our attention to the public holiday that has been uh, decided for to uh, acknowledge Matariki, yeah. the, the constellation known uh, as Pallades, and in Te Ao Māori as Matariki. Yeah. Uh, on the 24th of June is that that will be the public holiday. And I... I want to emphasise how that's good news for us in the Southern Hemisphere because we're finally acknowledging in, in, a, in a real way, um, an op- it's an opportunity for us to acknowledge things that are relevant to the Southern Hemisphere. Mm. Just about every culture has a... They make a point of noting when this period is. But because we've imported our culture from the Northern Hemisphere, we're one of the few that doesn't. Like, if you look at cultures all around the world, they have an equivalent of Matariki. We're, we're kind of upside down, and we've been what I call upside down for a very long time, yeah. since the colony was formed, really, in terms of uh, acknowledgement. So the, the impulse for this to come back and be more in the public arena has got to be good for us on so many different levels. First, it's a a body of scientific knowledge, of astronomy, astronomical knowledge, and then it's layered with other um, significant meanings from the the wairua side of spirituality of te ao Māori. And and then it has the the, um, ability to bring community together to... um, to know who this constellation is um, and to understand the significance of that constellation within our southern hemisphere, uh, in the southern hemisphere. So do you want to just describe for people who don't know, like people are hearing about it quite a lot now, but maybe they don't know the full story, like what is the significance of Matariki? So Matariki falls in terms of uh, a calendar timing the Maramataka, it's actually the beginning of the year. Mm. The beginning of the year, not the not the middle of the year as we we we're currently, you know, the winter solstice. Um that's that doesn't that doesn't sit at all. It makes sense that it's okay, we we're um now quietening down in in the middle of winter, coming into um, into the middle of winter, and then then we come out, and and we do a lot of planning around this time. There are many many things that take place during this time uh, in a quieter way, and then we um you know we come out into the equinoxes and the equinox, and then this in spring and the summer solstice as uh you know points of reference on the. Maramataka, the calendar, yeah, 
So Matariki is a is significance when she's seen in as a body of stars, as a constellation, uh, gives meaning, or we say is a sign. There are many signs uh, um, when we see her, where she sits on the horizon, when she's rising, um, and what that means for the year ahead in terms of um, being able to um, grow crops, uh, what you know, it's it's quite an amazing story. There are many aspects. It's I quite mu- a big story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I must admit, it feels it feels strange this year talking about it right now because the the drought and the sun is still out, and we've not well, we had rain yesterday, but <laughs> it feels like it feels like the summer is never is never ending in a lot of ways, and it's I guess it's kind of it's quite disjointed, really. Um, yes, I think the the cycle of the Tiao is going through many changes and this the transformation in terms of weather patterns mm. are, are not just um, random. They actually occur for a reason and they've been happening on the earth for thousands of years. We just seem to be quite overwhelmed by them and rightly so because they are overwhelming. But we have had... You know, floods, floods, and have been written about in ancient texts, ancient yes. texts, and yes. and um, heat waves, and so the earth has has this ability to renew itself. And while we're um, expecting autumn to be in a certain way, and it's not, then we get very um, un- imbalanced. So we have to. Uh, I guess be not. I guess it's what it is. It's just what's going on. I mean, yes, we had a downpour, and probably many would say, "Oh, it's not enough rain," and others would say, um, "Oh, that's enough." We, you know, can you not rain for a couple of days or yeah. something? But the, these things are are part of a cycle that have been. But they they are they are very significant at this time in terms of what's really going on. I'm interested the in, the, in the perspective that that you've got there that the Earth f- f- always finds a way to find a balance, which contrasts with uh, a narrative at the moment that we have global warming and we're heading toward inevitable disaster, and you know that's that's the path we're on, and it stops at the disaster. You're talking about balance and cycles. It's it's a very it's a different worldview. Um, yes, it is. Well, I don't know whether it's that different to ancient text. Yeah. Really, uh, because when, if if we were to look further in, historically into human history, these times have, have uh, are told in geology. You know, the, in the archaeology yeah. can tell us, like, oh my gosh, we have been through some significant uh, patterns that have not. They're not only weather patterns, but they're empire patterns patterns of the fall and rising of empires as well. So there's a, a very layered uh, earth story. And yes, we are in a critical place right now because of what we've actually done ourselves. Yeah. It's not, we created it. And I think it's uh, what, we have certain rights, but we also have to take responsibility for the creation of this 
global warming situation, it's real. And we did it, so how do we undo it? And I think it's quite clear to me that we have the capacity if we choose to. Yeah. <laughs> Collect, and it's got to be a, a fairly collective decision. It has to be very, very much. We have to really get this, get this collective connection to each other that we're not going to have heroes, single heroes rising up. Yeah. Who are going to find the solutions? We we are all in this together, and but the change must come from our collective um, being being aware and making changes. That seems to be a narrative of our modern culture. Where do we look to, we look for a hero to save us or to lead us? Yes, yes, it's it's dangerous mm. because uh, that's not going to happen. That's my understanding. From my, from my background in, in, in spirituality, it's, it's going to be a multiplicity of plannings and ideas that will, will rise up through um, uh, kotahitanga, this uh, sharing as communities, strengthening community and making plans. You know, I, uh, I, I, hope, I hope for a time soon when when the whole country is, is on board with the idea and the whole country is moving in that direction to do something about climate change, I think that'll be a really exciting time. Like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like when a country mobilizes for war. That's about the only thing I can compare it to. Like, you know, the UK during World War II was entirely united and working together and, and everything was very meaningful. And while I don't want to use war as the metaphor, but that, that coming together for meaningful work as a nation that sounds like a good thing to me it was uh, it was uh, highlighted to me in recent times they said that all wars have been um, generated under a male leader and it was said by males and uh, several times and they said uh, they felt that it was unlikely that war would occur with female leaders and I went okay Let's have a go at that then. <laughs> let's let's see that pattern that you're you're looking for. Um, it, it, well, so far that that has been true, that uh, they have been by male leaders. So is it? Um, you know, they're saying maybe it's time for us to have female leaders to to take us forward. Now that's. That's an idea, and I know there are many who could rise up to be those female leaders, but one of the main um, the, the work of, of the, the female is to actually create the generations going forward. And, um, yeah, okay, so you can lead a country and have, have a tribe, have, a, have babies, that's true, but it, it's really um, understanding... How we we work together as male and female more, and I know that many, most females I know, I would have to say have never wanted war, because it's their sons, their sons that are destroyed. I have to admit, I don't think I know anyone who wants war. Yeah, well, no, not, they don't. Not in my personal. Well, it's obvious life. that they that the human family wants war because we keep on having them. 
Yeah, we could. <laughs> this is an interesting discussion. There is considerable effort made when, usually, when the US wants to go to war, they don't just go, "Let's go to war," and everyone goes, "Yeah," or all the men go, "Yeah." Like they have to come up with reasons. They have to say, "Oh, these people are threatening us," or they are hurting their own people, and we need to go to save them. They always have to come up with a justification for war, which wars are certainly happening. And there are lots of people who gravitate toward war, but it's also noticeable that every time they want to go to war, they have to basically lie about why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever they have to do, um, war is generated through uh, dark forces. I'll use that word because it is very, very clear to me that on the earth you have that energy and whatever the reasons are, it becomes believable to people. Mm. Um, we've had a bit of that ourselves in the last two years of what's believable and then feeling um, that we, um, it, it, yeah, no, that's another discussion. <laughs> that, that, that's a we're, whole, st- we're straying from the topic quite, yeah, quite quickly here today. Yeah, yeah, well, that's another whole discussion. Yeah. But I, I'd like to perhaps uh, invite people to think about the place of karakia. Karakia is not so much prayer. Well, that's an English translation of a word, but the context of karakia in, in, in our lives and why it is so important that we have a consciousness around well, uh, karakia being a meaningful part of a of a of a family life, community life, individual life, and what that looks like. You know, karakia is in let's let's say India, <clears throat> for example, has been around for thousands and thousands of years through sacred chants. And those sacred chants have extraordinary power to generate um, uh, to generate goodness yeah. in our lives. In the West, we have really had very limited access to a form of karakia, and Maori. In terms of te ao Māori, I feel like we always seem to be in doing karakia. It's like, oh, there they go again. They're <laughs> 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 having another prayer for that and a yeah, prayer for that. Yeah, what's that all about? <clears throat> it's about acknowledgement of the unseen and the acknowledgement that there is more, there is a, a deeper connection in life and it gives us a sense of we're not alone. That we're not, you know, we're not just a physical being, because we get caught up in that, that we, that we're we're flesh and body, but we have many more parts to us that make up who we are um, as a being, and karakia also gives us um, an opportunity to to join our consciousness together and our thought patterns, so that we can. Um, you know, for healing, healing of another person, healing of a nation, healing of an animal. Um, dare I say it? In the plant world, 
um, the healing, you know. So it's not only an exchange of words, it, it, um, spoken word, it can be um, sound, sound too. Um, okay. The way sounds are put together, that's a big subject. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> I don't know where to get into it. Um, I'm just, I'm always, I'm always thinking about what other people might be thinking, and and there's obviously that people are respectful now to to Maori ideas, but people who are from a science, very scientific background haven't got a context, I think, to put what you're talking about into. I think. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. Well, it it is. People are noticing it, more it, and more. It, it's that, coming. Yeah. They're very, very. Um, when you have empirical knowledge through a scientific Western body, Western science, um, those formulas will will begin to disintegrate and realize, and there will be a real. Oh, we can't monitor this. We can't. We can't prove it because it's not. It's it's not. A, a, it's an experiential knowledge. And it embodies a whole other framework that Western science has yet to discover. Yeah, Western science is very much if if it's if it can't be observed or measured, it's very hard to do science with it. Mm, with, absolutely, with, with, with Western science, and I think that's then moved from there, which is fine. Like that's how Western science works. You've got to be able to measure it and observe it, or or prove it mathematically or something like that. Um, but then. That becomes uh, that then moves to the point where if it can't be measured or observed in some way, it, it doesn't really exist. Um, that, that's where I think that's where the, culturally that's where it's gone. If you can't measure it, it doesn't exist, it just, it, which is not true. No one would say that's true, but that seems to be the way we live. It, it's way that we live because it's a very it's very dominant. It's a very dominant um, thinking pattern that puts itself first yeah. and in first in line and dismisses. It's very dismissive. Of other yeah. ways of thinking, so indigenous science is if has been discovered by Western science, but it's not new to me or to those who have practiced it's it. It's a funny way to, to say it, that it's been discovered. It's been here for thousands of years, yes. but now it's been discovered, and now yeah, it's. I guess that you, you could think of Western science. I hope there's no scientists listening who disagree profoundly with this, but Western science acts like seems to act, my observation, like it's the entire universe. And so indigenous science existed outside of that universe for a long time, so it wasn't considered. Now it's coming into that universe and is being considered. You're probably hoping that it, it's actually expanding the universe. If, if I think it's really important that if people have the openness to receive other forms of knowing and one of them is through the indigenous science portal, then their lives would be enriched and they would live on a very much more, they would see things quite differently from what is currently proposed. Yeah. If, if I could give an example of what I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but um, there's, there's uh, a phrase, junk DNA, that used to be used, which was they didn't know what scientists didn't, they knew what some of the DNA did, and they studied that, and they didn't know what the other stuff. Well, no one, there was no understanding about it. It was called junk DNA, as if it, it did nothing. <laughs> anyway, someone someone um, patented some of the DNA. That's a whole other story. But he patented some of that junk DNA, and then they discovered a use for it, or they discovered what it did. And then he had, then he was able to charge everybody for using the knowledge that he had patented. So my 
point there kind of was that the phrase junk DNA was that was a bit of hubris, a bit of but they were wrong to call it junk DNA. It was arrogant to call it junk DNA. We don't know what it does. It can't do anything. So that's kind of what I was trying to describe there with the, um, the Western science point of view, where if it doesn't exist inside the Western science universe, it doesn't exist at all. Yes, well, one of the things that I've been very fortunate to come to understand is that what the Western science calls the mind or mental knowledge is a very small part of the brain and they seem to be just rediscovering, oh my gosh, there's another part. Not the physical brain, but the brain, um, how how the mental mind works. So the hinengaro, we call it hinengaro. And in indigenous science, that's like not, that's not uncommon to like, yeah, of course, there's there's much, much more to, um, it's only a very small part of who you are. It, you know, it serves a purpose. And if you can find that purpose, and also it can give you a life, uh, an abundant life, then it's useful. But if it doesn't, then really, what are you doing? You're actually living off, you know, other people are not, not able to live well and I don't agree with that I think prosperity belongs to all in terms of you know so if you deny people the right to their matauranga that they uh, have and they they understand you're really you know it's it's, um, very harmful to the community you separate out I keep wanting to my instinct, having been brought up in this worldview, is, is that I keep wanting to incorporate what you're talking about and describe it in scientific terms. And so I'm coming up with ideas like um, emergent properties, which is something they use to describe when something gets more complex, it develops new properties that weren't there when you were looking at the atoms. But, but, that's, but, but that's because I have only that, got that worldview and I only speak one language. I, and all I all I can see with you, all I can see with you, is that you do have a different worldview and a different perspective um, that I that I wouldn't have until I learnt Maori as well as you do, probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I just like to make a um, recommendation here that if you uh, to consider reading a, a book that I've um, read several times now, actually. Um, it's braiding sweetgrass, and I, I can't remember her name, but she's a scientist, a plant scientist. But she integrates her indigenous knowledge and her as a, a wealth of knowledge that she's gained yeah. around her own people and how those shared bodies of how those bodies of knowledge can be woven together. She's you know a very highly re- regarded. Um, Scientist. So this is, is that Robin Wall Kimmerer? Yes. There we go. Kimmerer spelled K-I-M-M-E-R-E-R for people. Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer. And that is she from? Where's she from? Which America? part of the world? From in, America. In, in, in Potawatomi Press, Professor. That sounds like a mm, Native mm, American okay. Indian. Yes, yes. It's a very word. sad story about what happened to her people mm. and and the knowledge, but she brings it so beautifully back. And weaves it into braiding sweetgrass, which is a sacred um, plant of her people. Yeah, 
and, and I think like tying this back into what we were talking about before with global warming and, and how we need to repair what we've done, it, having a different perspective, a different world view is going to be really key to that because it's very hard to use the same world view that got you into a mess to get you out of the mess. I think the younger ones, I, I'm very hopeful that the younger generation, those who are in their early 20s, Mm. We'll, we'll, are already presenting many frameworks that we've never thought about, yeah. which is no surprise, really. Well, that's yeah, that's what the new generation is for—to bring the new stuff. Yeah, and but it's for us to listen to it. We must listen. We're not very good at that. No, because they are actually seeding things that we've never thought about, ways of going forward. Yeah, and I think they have some brilliant. Well, they are. They're brilliant. We're so busy trying to tell them all the advice we've got for how the world is that <laughs> we don't do. We don't watch to see what what they're coming up with. Yeah, we should. We should definitely. They're moving in a direction that we've never moved before. We're going to move into new into new ways of of uh, um, being going yeah. forward. Yeah. Mm. So, folks, we're talking to Ngaranoa Nata and. Um, how much of this discussion has been what you intended to talk about this morning? <laughs> Matariki. <laughs> we, we should get back to that because I know you. I think you have things that you wanted to. to oh, talk I about. think well, just um, in terms of Matariki as a community, for us to look at what how we can um, honour that time um, with the children. You know, take some telescopes out and look at the rising of Matariki around the twenty first. 21st of June this year. Okay. You know, find find out where that's going to happen. It's northeast. Yeah, so. Well, if this weather keeps up, it should be pretty easy to do. <laughs> yeah, just doing uh, doing something like that, but just come up with some creative ideas on on um what that how you can celebrate. Yeah. Um next week I'll offer a waiata that around Matariki and some of the the waiata that have been written about Matariki. When Matariki was seven stars, and now um, we, I understand it's nine. That's fine. Um, Where, where'd the other two come from? <laughs> They've always been there. They've always been there. Always yeah. been there. I mean, it's constellation of thousands of stars, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's fine. Nine, ten, eleven. We'll just... Go with the storyline as it evolves, and acknowledge that yes, this is this is what we see with the with the telescope or the naked eye, too, and um, uh, begin to understand who they who they are and how they how they impact on our on our life story. Yeah. So, in your classes, are you teaching? About Matariki, and you're incorporating that into your classes yes, at the moment. Yes. So, yep. what, what are you doing? What things are you doing? Uh, the Tamariki will shortly learn a little waiata about the names of the constellation. There's a um, we'll um, do some activities around that. I'm organising some things in Hamilton at the Sun Salute Yoga Studio, so there will be a whole week of um, that Katie, uh, my dear friend Katie, who runs the studio, the Sun Salute Studio, will um, put in place. We'll be focusing 
there, one of the main focuses is around uh, Pohutukawa and the passing of people over the last year yeah. and how to uh, honour that, that, that particular star, Fetu, that particular Fetu, Pohutukawa. Oh, so that's the name of the star. That's the name of the star, Pohutukawa. Ah, right. So we'll have some focus around that particular um, star uh, because people, there is a, a corridor around that people really wanting to acknowledge the passing of people over the last year. And is that something that, that's a, a, a traditional part of Matariki, acknowledging the passing yes, of people? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, got a, it's a very important part of healing, for healing for the grief within our communities because I know it's significant. Um, for us, uh, and we, you know, it's time for us to to find a way of bringing those together and sharing that that grief that we're holding, so we can let it go. So this is the time to stop and and do that. This is the time to stop and do that. Yeah, and I and I'm I'm trying to imagine for a, a traditional culture which is which is based in some form of agriculture. That this is the time of year when the, the growing, the harvest has been done. Oh yes, and the, and the growing has and the growing has stopped, and so this is the time to stop. Yes, and, can I and, and rest? Absolutely, and I'd like to, um, and uh, probably is it no, keep keep going. We're good. Okay, We're good. so is to read this to you because it's about Ngāhuru, te Ngāhuru, This time I read the Māori and then the English. Yeah. So e puawai tonu ana e tahirata. E whakamine ana te kawau pū, he wā ngāhuru, ka taka ngā raurau o ngā rākau. Kei roto katoa ngā kumara e ngā pātaka kai. E makariri ana a papatuanuku, kua uti katoa ngā mahi hauhake hua whenua, I roto i tēnei wā o te mārama a fio. So that piece is, is about um, some of the rata are still are flowering. The black shag is seen uh, roosting in large numbers. Spoke about that. And deciduous natives start losing their leaves. There's not many, but... Uh, m- most natives hold yeah. their leaves all yeah. year round. The sweet potato, the kumara, is now safely stored, and hopefully, um, you know, the the rats don't have access or to it or any. You know, it's not. It's it's safely stored. The earth is growing colder, and that's happened very quickly. I must say, you know, we've all, almost forgotten how hot it was. Um, all tasks connected with harvest are completed within this lunar cycle. So yes, that's that's where we're up to in terms of um, a cycle. So where everything's in storage, and we're um, preserving what's the excess that comes off the gardens, yeah. um, so that we can, so that it's. Available to us. Mm. Yeah, and I'm thinking we've talked about this before about a documentary that uh, Timoritou made 
about how Kumara was was collected and oh, stored yes. and, and preserved, and and the the care that was taken and the just the the years of experience to make sure it did survive and the rats didn't get it and it didn't rot and all yes, that sort of uh, stuff. Um, I do. And my understanding is uh, that the gardens, the Maori gardens, uh, Parapara in the Hamilton Gardens, yeah. focus on the uh, kumara as the main crop, and uh, and also have also the one of the ancient um, kumara, the white kumara, okay. as part of their as part of the growing season. So, I, I do mean, they go through the whole cycle there? Like, do they store it as well to yes. show how it is how how it was done? Uh, uh, to be honest, I've never participated in it, so yeah. in that storage part, so I can't, I can't completely say to you, yeah, that happens. Uh, I need to um, follow up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that I know what I'm, so I'm saying something yeah. that's really happening. Yeah. That, no, I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just I come up with these questions, and, and I'll be. No yeah. Knows they're coming. Uh, we should also mention because we're talking about Matariki, the public holiday is the 24th on the 26th here on the Sunday. In the middle of town, they're closing off a bit of Bow Street down uh, by Trade Aid, that little bit there, and there's going to be some community celebration. I don't have the details in front of me. Oh, okay. That is, that's a thing that Raglan Naturally is, I think Raglan Naturally is doing this year. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, for the first official public holiday weekend. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And that's a public holiday that's not on a Monday as well, which is interesting. <laughs> that signifies, Friday. Yeah. Because <clears throat> they made all the public holidays Monday. They Mondayized them a few years ago, but I... Maybe it's significant that it's on a Friday. Oh, um, well, the sighting of Matariki is around the 21st. It's yes. a few days before. So, yes. Yeah. So I, I, um, maybe there was an arrangement made with um, the Council of Elders. I'm just suggesting yeah. that that's possible. <laughs> We're speculating here, folks. We're speculating. We, we do a lot. I do a lot of that on the radio, to be honest. There's a lot of speculation <laughs> goes on in here. But no, 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 thank you for coming in. Yeah, very welcome. And we'll talk to you again in a couple of weeks and uh, some, some Matariki music, which ties in well with New Zealand Music Month. Yes, yes, yeah. look forward to that. And kia hau maru koutou ma.